We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Regarding Israel, um, while House Republicans are leading on approach, we're also leading the charge to support our cherished friend. And last week, in one of my first acts as speaker, we passed a resolution reaffirming our commitment to Israel and its moment of peril. And now, as Israel begins the next phase of its war, it's been kind of disturbing to us. I've heard Democrats uh, suggest that there needs to be a ceasefire. Let us be clear. We've been very clear about this. There was a ceasefire. It was before October 7th, and Hamas broke it. And Israelis suffered unspeakable acts of evil, as you've heard even recounted here this morning. Israel doesn't need a ceasefire. It needs its allies to cease with the politics and deliver support now. And that's what we're doing. House Republicans plan to do that. We're going to do it in short order, and it provides Israel the aid it needs to defend itself, free its hostages, and eradicate Hamas, which is a mission that must be accomplished. Good morning. That was Speaker Mike Johnson about the uh, resolution that the House passed and also ahead of the uh, U.S. House of Representatives passing an aid package uh, that would send uh, $14 million, a little over, to uh, to Israel and would also take that same amount of money out of funding that was allocated to the IRS so that they are not just writing a blank check. We had Representative Chip Roy on last week talking about that, which uh, makes a lot of sense that if Congress wants to spend money on something new, they should take it from something else that maybe they shouldn't be spending money on. <laughs> so uh, we are still following the uh, the Israel and hopefully the United States Senate and especially uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer will get on board. He has um, apparently said that um, he opposes that aid package allocation um, because it doesn't also include more aid to Ukraine. But the single issue uh, aid aid packages seemed like a very good idea to me. But uh, let get, let's get Oren McIntyre's take. Uh, he is a host and writer at Blaze TV, and we've had him on quite frequently for um, his views. And uh, Oren, thanks so much for joining. And, you know, I think that this is a great package, um, one, because we should be supporting Israel, but also um, second, because it is single issue. The the, uh, the representatives and also then the U.S. Senate doesn't have to vote on aid to both Israel and Ukraine, but can separate that, but especially because it is reallocating funding. And frankly, I don't see why we need to be spending that much uh, money on the IRS anyway. But what is your take? 
Well, I agree that isolating the package is definitely an improvement in general. And, of course, we should not be expanding the IRS at all. It is a weaponized agency directly pointed at conservatives, at Republicans, at opponents of the Biden administration. We should just be stripping as much funding in general from them as possible. So those are positive aspects. But I don't think that we should be sending money sending it to Israel or Ukraine or any other foreign country. People like Thomas Massey and Marjorie Taylor Greene have made this point. Americans are struggling. There's a housing crisis. There's an open border. Inflation is rampant and out of control. I understand the idea here is that we're going to be taking money out of the IRS, so we're not net spending additional, but that was already way more money than we should be spending. We should be keeping that money at home. We should be taking care of Americans. Israel suffered a terrible loss, and I hope that they are able to defend themselves and do what they need to do and take care of that. But they are a modern company or country perfectly capable of defending themselves against terrorists. And, you know, you're not the only person, um, interestingly, and then the others that you su- uh, suggested and referenced, Marjorie Taylor Greene, among others, uh, that are actually upset about um, Israel being the first priority uh, for Speaker Mike Johnson. Um, Tucker Carlson was actually very upset. And I want to get your reaction uh, to this clip and, and discuss. This is cut three. But when the Speaker of the House, who I know is a nice guy from your state, the new Speaker of the House comes in and the first thing he does is issue a statement on behalf of a foreign country. That's the most important thing. I'm, and I'm not even against the statement, but right. I'm just saying, like, what bigger statement does that make? That's him, Mikey Johnson? Yeah. and He's the speaker? He is. And, Praise God. But he's a nice guy, and I'm not against him, but I'm just saying, like, if you think the welfare of another country is the most important thing for you as the one of the leaders of our country, third in line to the presidency, you have lost the thread, son, because it's not. Nothing is more important for the leaders of our country than our country and how it's 350 million people are doing. So I was enraged by that. And people are like, oh, are you for Hamas? Of course I'm not for Hamas at all. I'm for America, actually. I shouldn't even have to answer that question. Yeah. Are you for Israel or Hamas? I mean, obviously I'm for Israel over Hamas, but, but that's irrelevant. I'm for America. And no one even asked that. And that was Tucker Carlson on uh, one of one of the podcasts. I don't actually have the um, the name of what the the clip was from, but um, he was obviously in a conversation with um, another show host. And um, and Oren, uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of people are criticizing this. Um, I personally understand, and it's my opinion that um, that while this, of course, America first um, should be the priority of the U.S. government. In the moment that Speaker Johnson took the speakership, this was an immediate necessity, and he couldn't help the timing of the issues with Israel. So I don't think that this suggests that the only priority is Israel, or that the U.S. Congress isn't focusing under his leadership on priorities for America. But don't you think that the timing here is something that, um, that needs to be at least taken into consideration? Sure, absolutely. But I do think that there's an issue of do something disease. And this is something that Republicans should know better about. Conservatives should know better about. Yes, I understand the notion of global leadership. Yes, I understand the notion that America is standing by an ally in theory. But in practice, you're making a symbolic gesture. Again, Israel is perfectly capable of funding its own defense. America is currently having serious crises in multiple areas. 
And this shows the American people, unfortunately, that the most important thing that the new speaker can, can do is signal in support symbolically of another nation rather than immediately taking action on issues that matter to them. Again, as Tucker said, what Hamas did is horrific. Israel has every right to respond. I wish them well in that. They are well within their sovereign right as a nation to defend themselves and in the right to do so. But there is simply no reason that American funds need to be dedicated to this. And there's no reason that the Republicans, the right conservatives, should be signaling their priority as a foreign country. If you say American first, you got to mean it. And that means thinking about the people of the United States and committing their tax dollars to their well-being as your first priority. Once you've cleaned up your house, maybe you can go put out the fire in your next-door neighbor's house. But your house is on fire, and you got to care about that. So then what should have been uh, the priorities if we are talking about America first and you know, cleaning? I mean, obviously there are issues in the economy and um, so many other things. So um, in your view, what should have been the first priorities uh, for the speaker to advance legislation I mean, with a very slim Republican majority that um, you know, is, is being held, held together, I think, um, pretty, pretty delicately? Well, I mean, the political reality is this bill is dead on arrival either way, right? Chuck Schumer has already said that this bill is not going to see a pair in the Senate. He, uh, Mitch McConnell wants the uh, wants there to be a Ukrainian writer on this as well. So there's no way that the bill that was passed here is going to make a difference either way. So it is purely symbolic. If you're going to pass a purely symbolic bill, at least pass one that's just 100% border security or 100% defunding of the IRS. Or, you know, or, or something similar. If, if we're just passing symbolic legislation anyway, if we know this legislation is done arrival anyway, make it a priority for Americans' border security. Make sure that you're, you know, funding a wall, even if you know that the, the Senate's not going to end up passing it. Make those actions known so that your base knows you care about them. I'm speaking with Oren McIntyre, who's a host and columnist at The Blaze uh, Media. And, you know, there there are a lot of um, symbolic efforts just because of um, the division between Democrats and Republicans. Um, but doesn't this, this legislation that was advanced out of the House, doesn't this at least then put the Senate um, in a difficult position for not supporting Israel if they if they vote it down, and then it's not at least the the fault of the House Republicans for not advancing that aid package. I mean, if they this is the type of thing that I think um, conservatives and Republicans uh, like me and and many others were calling for from the leadership of Kevin McCarthy to not cave on things like putting together a multi pronged spending package that would give um, a another writer or aid to Ukraine or something like that. And so for Speaker Johnson, doesn't this at least indicate that he's willing to advance conservative priorities? Well, I will say this. The interesting thing that this puts the ball in the court for many on the left, for Democrats, is their split currently inside that party on whether or not to support Israel. Obviously, I think the woke wing of the Democratic Party is very pro-Palestine. There are still uh, many uh, inside of the left who kind of have a, a residual uh, allegiance to Israel or or, you know, the bipartisan interest in supporting Israel. But there's a there's a leftist civil war kind of going on right now as the liberationist rhetoric, the decolonization rhetoric that has become very powerful on the left 
has, has taken over much of that party. And so I will say the one positive thing of this is it does put that ball in the court of many who then have to make visible votes, and that's a possible wedge on the left. Again, I don't think this should have been the first priority. I don't think overall this is the right move. However, it is interesting to exacerbate that split on the left and see where it takes things, because that is a, a very powerful and visible division that is now forming on the left and puts them in a very tight spot. Yeah, and especially heading into uh, the 2020 elections, which uh, critical seats in the U.S. House and the Senate in terms of overall uh, Republican versus Democrat control are up in 2024. A lot of the focus, of course, is obviously on the presidential election in a presidential election year. But we also have to focus on the composition of the House and the Senate. And, um, you know, it's interesting in, in the the broader scale as well. And in the, just the last few minutes I have with you, um, Oren McIntyre, and by the way, he mentioned um, the decolonization rhetoric. And um, Oren and I did a really great uh, podcast episode on uh, my Salem Media podcast. You can find that at thejennaellisshow.com. Uh, this was a couple of weeks ago um, to talk about what that term actually means as the left is using it, how you can better understand it. And then Oren actually did his own episode um, at The Blaze, which is uh, why I invited him on my show to, to further discuss um, and that show is also uh, on The Blaze that talks about decolonization, if you're interested um, in delving into that further. Um, but I want to ask you in just the last two minutes, um, I have with you here as well. So speaking of the division on the left, um, there's so much rhetoric uh, in terms of what the squad and, and members like Rashida Tlaib are suggesting in terms of not just support for pro-Palestine, but also for Hamas, and how Democrats in her own home state of Michigan are pushing back against that. Do you see that being Becoming a divisive issue heading into 2024 for Democrats in the House and Senate. Like I said, yeah, I think it really is going to be a fascinating issue to watch. Usually the left's vanguard has been kept in check by kind of establishment interests. And so while you do have people like the squad kind of pushing certain woke issues, pushing uh, kind, of, kind of, again, that, that corner of critical race theory, decolonization, that kind of nexus of intersectional theory, they have been more or less held in check by people like Nancy Pelosi. It feels like they are feeling their oats. They're, they're feeling their power. They're feeling that they have the ability to guide the conversation and that they don't kind of have to pay heed to these restrictions anymore. And it's going to be really fascinating to see whether they pay a cost for this in the long term or whether this is something the vanguard can get out ahead of and actually win against the establishment on. One thing we've seen is that the left is in a pretty serious purity spiral. They don't seem to have a way of stopping it. And the more radical uh, edges of the left have been winning a lot of these conversations, a lot of these contests. And so if they can break this one, if they can really push, uh, you know, kind of a pro-Palestine message and make that a central movement uh, issue within the left, that that is a fascinating and scary uh, development that that would occur. It is uh, really well said. And in the midst of all this, Kamala Harris's stepdaughter is raising millions for Palestine. Um, according to Town Hall, uh, Kamala Harris's stepdaughter, Ella Imhoff, has reportedly raised nearly $8 million for the Palestinian Children's Relief Fund. And there has been no comment from either uh, Kamala Harris or Ella's uh, father, Doug Imhoff, who, of course, is Kamala Harris's husband. So we'll continue to monitor all this and be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. 
Alicia had found herself in an unplanned pregnancy and wasn't sure what to do. She searched for pregnancy services and found a preborn network clinic where she was counseled, supported, and offered a free ultrasound. After seeing her baby and hearing the heartbeat, she cried. She was certain she would keep her baby forever. Leisha gave birth to a baby girl who is smart, beautiful, and full of life. Often, she visits that same clinic and receives free clothes, diapers, and more. Because of your generous support, Preborn writes 200 stories just like these every day. $28 can be the difference between the life and death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection and doubles a baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers in crisis choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your donation goes towards saving babies. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. And uh, the Democrats are still attempting to uh, just override the entire U.S. Constitution. And there's a great piece in Town Hall uh, by our friend Katie Pavlich, who uh, writes, Republicans expose Democrats, quote unquote, ethics scheme to remake the Supreme Court. Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee further exposed a scheme by Democrats to remake the Supreme Court during a hearing on Capitol Hill Thursday. Republicans highlighted relentless attacks on conservative justices by Democrat senators and leftist activists, showing new uh, ethics reform is really an underhanded way for liberals to control decision-making. So Senator Tom Cotton had some very spicy words on this, and uh, this is cut one. It's not, as Senator Whitehouse says, an effort to expose wrongdoing at the Supreme Court. It's an effort to delegitimize the Supreme Court because you don't like the way they rule. When you lose at the ballot box for years, you tried to achieve in courts what you couldn't achieve through democratic elections and legislatures. You thought the Supreme Court was your own special province. And then when there became a center-right majority on the Supreme Court, you began to attack its very foundations. There's not some secret. It's wide out and open. Chuck Schumer has gone to the steps of the Supreme Court and threatened justices by name that they wouldn't know what hit them if they ruled in ways that the Democratic Party didn't like. In May of 2022, the unprecedented action of leaking the Supreme Court decision in the Dobbs case occurred, unleashing left-wing street militias outside of justices' homes. So that was Senator Tom Cotton in uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee. And uh, Ranking Member Chuck Grassley also weighed in by tweeting, Attention, Judiciary Committee Democrats. The Supreme Court is not, or is, rather, is an independent branch of government, not a political punching bag. He also tweeted out, The second day uh, Judiciary Committee has on the agenda partisan subpoenas to go after Supreme Court justices. It's all part of a campaign by the left to harass 
harass and intimidate the Supreme Court because they don't like some of its recent decisions. And uh, this is this comes in the wake of Senator Dick Durbin, who unveiled um, a motion he tweeted to issue subpoenas to Harlan Crow, Leonard Leo, and Robin Arkley II. You'll, you'll uh, note that Leonard Leo was one of uh, the chief um, architects or strategists behind uh, Trump's three nominees. Um, he is the head of the Federalist Society and uh, was helpful in terms of that very first list during the 2016 campaign when President Trump was the first uh, then candidate to actually put out a list of his potential nominees and pledge uh, to choose from that list. And so uh, Dick Durbin said that this kickstarts the debate and uh, next steps to a full committee vote as soon as next week. So this resolution is to subpoena them and um, for other documents and records from those entities and individuals pertinent to the subject matter described in these letters. So uh, this, in in my view, is uh, Tom Cotton is absolutely right that this is just the latest attack by Democrats to try to maneuver, to manipulate the Supreme Court, because guess what? It's actually conservative now. And remember before 2016 and before President Trump's uh, three appointees, and we should all be thanking God that the three seats that became available went to a, a president who appointed conservative originalists. But prior to that, the Democrats were suggesting that the Supreme Court is the beacon of truth. It was super precedent. You can never question the Supreme Court. You know, otherwise you're against democracy and, you know, all of this type of rhetoric. And then suddenly, shockingly, when the Supreme Court doesn't rule in their favor, then Democrats just want to suggest now that the Supreme Court as an institution needs to completely want they have all of these different measures to expand the supreme court to add seats uh, they want to to reinvent some of the uh, judiciary acts in order to expand the supreme court they will do literally anything on the left to try to manipulate the rules to get their way and we've seen that over and over and over again and i would submit that when you are a party or a per political perspective that says that we just want to force our view by any method possible, that's actually antithetical to our constitutional republic. That isn't going along with originalism. Originalism, in the sense that conservatives understand it, means that we don't get our way all the time. Sometimes people get elected that we don't like, or sometimes the majority does things that we don't prefer. And we have a rule book in the U.S. Constitution that will that will hold to a limited principle of government and limited actions that our government can promulgate. Uh, but within what the government can do, the legislative, the executive, and the judiciary, what they can do, then what they prefer to do, sometimes we may not agree with. And this is why elections matter. And this is especially why the judiciary matters 100%. Because if we don't get a judicial branch that is holding these other two uh, branches accountable, then we get into legislating from the bench and we get these warped, manipulated opinions that do things like find a so-called right to abortion in the U.S. Constitution that's totally against our entire Constitution and our legislative process where 30-plus states prior um, and, and after Roe v. Wade had, had actually codified 
into their legislation and uh, these protections for unborn children. And so we have to make sure that the left is not simply trying to manipulate their own view. I mean, it's the same thing with same-sex marriage, where these states that had had as part of their state constitutional structure saying that the state would only recognize a union between one man and one woman. And then the Supreme Court goes off and and Obergefell just says like a Hallmark card, well, love is love. And, you know, we think that there should be a right to same-sex marriage. Well, that's nothing within the scope of the judiciary, but the Democrats were totally fine with that. Nobody was talking about expanding the Supreme Court when when the leftist court was giving them everything they wanted. It's only when we have an originalist majority. So this is why elections matter, and this is why we as values voters need to not be just party focused. This isn't a Democrat versus Republican thing. This is a left versus right, and it's a conservative, originalist, protecting the Constitution value that we have to go against these manipulations of our law, our Constitution, and our branches of government and our agents to make sure that we secure freedom and we hold all of these government officers and agents accountable to stay within the margins of the U.S. Constitution. So that is the town hall piece that uh, is titled Republicans Expose Democrats, uh, quote unquote, ethics scheme to remake the Supreme Court. There's also a suggestion out there by the left that the Supreme Court, which is not held currently to the code of judicial ethics that every other inferior court is held to in terms of conduct, that just because they don't like uh, Justice Thomas, for example, and they don't like that he has a wife who in her private citizen capacity can go and advocate for political views just because they don't like that. They want to reshape ethics to force conservatives to go along with their beliefs. And while I think it's a good thing to have an overall ethics code, obviously it can be manipulated. And these are things that we need to care about and we need to be talking to our senators about. So I would encourage all of you um, to contact your senator um, and especially Senator Tom Cotton if you agree with his remarks and originalism and uh, tell him to continue to fight the good fight and to continue with originalism. Um, So the other topic I want to get to this morning in this segment is that uh, we have the um, we have the rally tonight for uh, Governor DeSantis there in Iowa. And this is kind of a big deal because Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa is poised to endorse uh, Governor DeSantis for president. And while um, some in uh, the other camps, particularly uh, the Trump camp, are trying to diminish uh, this as an endorsement, I think it's significant because Kim Reynolds is so well-liked. And the suggestion that the primary is already over could not be further from the truth because uh, nobody has caucus, nobody has voted yet. So here to discuss is uh, Iowa State Representative John Dunwell. And um, good morning, sir. And, and I think this actually is a really big endorsement for Governor DeSantis. It's huge. Uh, um, it really, I didn't really anticipate the governor doing it this early, uh, but uh, we are excited about tonight, and it makes a difference here in Iowa. Like, as you said, Governor Reynolds is extremely popular. Um, she has made a great impact in Iowa. She's been a phenomenal leader with us in the legislature. And Iowans love you. When I go out and talk to Iowans, they, they don't call her Governor Reynolds. They, they always say, say hello to Kim. How's Kim doing? She's just that type of governor that has a great impact upon people, and people listen to what she has to say. 
And and that's so great. And I think um, that some of the the rhetoric on you know on social media and some of this pushback that's suggesting that she's one of the least popular governors in the country also couldn't be further from the truth. Um, so, what has been your experience um, there in Iowa with just how well loved she is and what this endorsement uh, may do in terms of of uh, the campaign for Governor DeSantis? I mean, I, I know you know President Trump and some of the other candidates as well were seeking her endorsement. So, you know, I don't think that this is something that we can just simply diminish. I think Governor Reynolds is laser focused on we've got to get Joe Biden and the Democrats out of the White House. And she's looking at the great political candidates we had and, and basically is saying that she believes that Governor DeSantis, a, a man who has a proven track record, uh, a man who you know doesn't just talk about it, but can actually show you what he's done, a man who doesn't just talk about conservative concepts and principles and legislation, but actually gets it passed and stays consistent. She knows that he's the best opportunity that we have to defeat Joe Biden and the Democrats in the White House. And so I think she's laying her chips down. She did that here in our last election when she wanted to get ESAs through and she wanted to get school choice. On firm footing, she stepped into that race and made sure it got done. I think she's going to do the same thing here uh, when it comes to uh, who we get a chance to select and give a running start to the winning the nomination with Governor DeSantis. Yeah, and so looking ahead um, to Iowa, because, you know, we are only a couple of months out. Um, for those who, I mean, we've been talking about the Iowa caucuses and all of that, but um, explain if you could why that matters and how um, the caucus is different than um, just a popular vote in terms of uh, those delegates and how that affects um, Iowa being placed first in terms of uh, the presidential primary. So remember, Iowa's first in the nation for a reason. This is a state of 3.3 million people. Every single presidential candidate goes to every single county, and they visit my little town of 15,800. Every single person running for president has been at the Pizza Hut or been at a local establishment to meet and greet voters. It's retail politics. It helps us really get to know the candidates up and close, and it helps the candidates as well refine their message. Caucuses are different. You have to be motivated to go to a caucus. You have to attend a meeting and actually go through a process to basically vote and select who is going to be the person that you want to support uh, going into the rest of the race. And so you have to be a motivated people. And that's what makes Governor Santos so unique of any of the people running for president. He's had a phenomenal ground game. He will have visited every single of our 99 counties. He's out there shaking hands, connecting with people, answering questions, and bringing forth a message. And that's how you get, you know, what we think will be a record caucus turnout to join together on January 15th and cast their vote for Governor DeSantis to represent the Republican Party on the ticket uh, for the presidential race. And so it's up close, personal politics. You have to be highly motivated, and that's why attending these events are very important. And, uh, you know, President Trump has been somewhat absent from this process here. He hasn't campaigned hard in Iowa. Governor DeSantis has. And uh, we think that uh, he has the best ground game and the best opportunity in the go forward. And I'm speaking with Representative uh, John Dunwell from the great state of Iowa. And in just the last few minutes I have with you, sir, you know, some people have suggested that 
Um, there has been so much focus and emphasis by uh, Governor DeSantis's campaign in Iowa. Um, and President Trump, um, of course, didn't win Iowa in 2016 and ultimately did win the nomination. So maybe is just ceding that um, to whether it's Governor DeSantis or someone else and um, really is focusing elsewhere because of the caucus system. Um, do you think that it is a mistake potentially for Governor DeSantis to be so focused on Iowa and not having as much of a ground game elsewhere? Or does Iowa portend then a better motivation heading into some of those states if he is successful in winning Iowa? No, I I think it's important he focuses on Iowa. The whole nation is watching. There's a national narrative that this already has been won by President Trump. And when you win Iowa and you really um, work hard and you can test and moving forward from there, you set the course for what follows behind it. And it gets past some of those polls. I mean, this is still early in the game. We still got a ways for January 15th here, much less the rest of the nation. And so you need to win Iowa to give you that propelling forward to the rest of the nation. And I think it, it, it then will offset some of that, what I think is a, a false narrative that this has already been won by President Trump and it's not necessary for us to go forward and move ahead. So that's why Iowa is so important. Yeah, and, and I think there's some wisdom there as well. And, you know, it's interesting to me that some are suggesting that, um, you know, the primary is already over and um, we should just, you know, do away with it, with the primaries completely because, um, you know, somehow uh, President Trump is just entitled to the nomination. I know there are people that support him and deservedly so. That's, you know, that's the system in America, but it's also the system in America that we have a free and fair primary and anyone who wants to run can. And so this whole notion that somehow there's some kind of disloyalty or, you know, whatever, I think is totally ridiculous um, because it is an open primary. And even when it's not, other people can still run like we're seeing uh, some running against Joe Biden. And um, even though he's the current sitting president of the United States. So we'll have to see. And I think that it's just really a shame that there's so much infighting between Republicans um, on the preferred candidates because we all can support the candidate of our choosing that is actually what makes America great. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. We want to welcome a new sponsor to American Family Radio, and I hope you give them your full support, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. If you're like most of us, you're feeling the strain of rising healthcare costs. Well, good news, Christian Healthcare Ministries may be the answer you're looking for. CHM is an affordable, faith-based option to traditional healthcare that provides members the freedom to choose doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods since they are not insurance. Can you say freedom? CHM is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry and has been around for over 40 years, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. They are tried and true and have members in all 50 states and around the world and have covered billions in medical bills. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. Make the switch today by visiting chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. 
Well, last week, Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas, a Republican, introduced legislation which aims to provide justice to those and their families who have been victims of crimes committed by illegal immigrants, according to a piece in Town Hall. Known as the Justice for Angel Families Act, it looks to restore the Trump-era Victims of Immigration Crime Engagement, or VOICE, office, which specifically tracked crimes committed by illegal immigrants, which was dismantled by the Biden administration. The legislation also extends support from the federal government through the Crime Victims Fund to American families if a family member is murdered by an illegal immigrant. This bill was also introduced uh, in the House by Representative Troy Nels from Texas in September, who spoke to how illegal immigration has gone downhill since former President Trump left office. So joining me out me now to discuss all this and more is our good friend, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West from the great state of Texas. And um, Alan, it has been a little bit since we have had you on the show. And before I get your comments on um, Senator Marshall's new bill and the border issue, this is because you are celebrating your newest grandson so congratulations on uh levi allen well thank you so much jen it's good to be back with you and yes uh he's uh, just a tad over three weeks old and he's uh, already the apple of our eye and we just enjoy and love him and thanks to so many for lifting him up in prayers he was born premature 29 weeks only three pounds two and a half ounces and uh he just hit four pounds uh this past weekend so we're very happy Oh, well, we are praying for him, and uh, for those of you who want to see him, uh, Alan West has posted some really cute photos on uh, his social media page on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter. You can follow him at Alan West, and uh, we will be praying for him and um, all of our love and support to your family because that is just the most important thing in the world, and um, you're, you're, there's the gleam on your face is just so great as you're holding <laughs> your little grandson, so <laughs> congratulations. Okay to you on that. Um, so turning to not as happy news as new grandbabies. Um, so this this bill uh, that would provide justice uh, to families who have been victimized by illegal immigrants, um, you know, I don't personally think this is going to go anywhere in the Senate, but it should. And um, where are the priorities now in terms of securing the border from um, the House of Representatives now under a new speaker, Mike Johnson? Um, what is the, your feeling in terms of you know, being a border state and how uh, the federal government is looking at this? Well, first and foremost, we have to come to understand that the Biden administration cares less about legal law-abiding citizens and providing them the security that they're supposed to then uh, is opposite of their ideological agenda, which is to have a clear and open border to allow, you know, the flooding of millions of illegal immigrants into this country to include a lot of single military-aged males. And so if we're not, this Biden administration is not going to prioritize American citizens, well, the House of Representatives needs to prioritize it. They need to prioritize this constitutional duty that the federal government is supposed to put forward and uh, put Biden administration on offense. And especially when you think about last week when we had the director of the FBI, Christopher Wray, talking about how we're at the uh, heightened state of concern or warning or alert for a terrorist action here in the United States of America. Why? Because we have this wide open border and we have all of these people that are on the terrorist watch list. Some we have been able to find, but in aggregate, 
in the past year, we have caught more than the previous four or five years combined. So this Biden administration is doing everything it can to uh, put us in this terror situation, especially when you see what has happened with Hamas and the other Islamic terrorist groups over in the Middle East. And, of course, they're going to try to do the exact same thing here, and they're being enabled by this administration. So I think now is the time to really push this hard. Uh, They need to do their budget business, but they also need to make sure that they're protecting the American people. Yeah, so well said. And um, I think it's uh, it's a very dangerous idea and um, really – concerning, um, to, to put it mildly, that uh, the Biden administration is looking at taking um, a lot of these refugees from uh, Palestine and, and other areas instead of um, having them settle in other Middle Eastern countries, and mm-hmm. um, and especially without vetting. And so, you know, on a state level, um, what can and should individual governors um, like Greg Abbott in Texas, for example, um, do in terms of saying no to these types of um, illegal immigrants and not just protecting their border, but also protecting um, this the settlement potentially of these refugees? Well, you know, we here in Texas wish our governor was doing a little bit more other than putting illegal immigrants on buses and really aiding and abetting human trafficking and sending them to other places. We need to seal off the border here in Texas, and we need to say that, no, we're not going to allow people that are coming in from a, uh, a, a terrorist hotbed such as what Gaza is, to just be planted here in the state of Texas. And we are still suffering from, you know, the unvetting, the non-vetting of people who were allowed to come into the United States of America from Afghanistan. That was a horrific debacle of a situation that we saw in that withdrawal, and there was no clear process there. I mean, these individuals should be settling in the countries that they share their faith with. Uh, and, And I don't understand why it is that we don't want to open up our our country more so to Christians who are persecuted and prosecuted in the Middle East. I mean, Assyrians, Chaldeans, Coptic Christians, but yet we want to continue to open it up to individuals that are coming from these areas and not betting them and, once again, putting ourselves and our own country more at risk. And I'm speaking with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, who is... Uh, a former Texas GOP chair, former uh, Florida representative, and also the host of the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. And you can find that on his Substack. And, um, you know, I, I agree with you that Republican governors should be doing more. And um, those, and yeah, and not just Republicans, frankly, like anybody who actually cares yeah. about putting American citizens first. This shouldn't be a Republican versus a Democrat issue. This should be an American issue issue as a whole. And I'm so tired of party politics that would suggest that we are siloing these issues into the two parties and it's just Republicans that care about the border. The Democrats should as well. Um, so in looking at what Congress you know, can and, and probably just practically can't do, um, in your view, is there any, I guess, strategy to having the House of Representatives now under Speaker Mike Johnson's leadership do something like a resolution that would support actions under um, the Constitution in, um, for example, Article 1, Section 10, that allows governors mm-hmm. to declare an invasion um, and, and actually protect their borders, and they don't have to wait for federal resources or oversight, but to simply 
pass a resolution saying, hey, we support that, we acknowledge that this is permissible under the Constitution, might something like that prompt, and I haven't heard anybody in Congress talking about it, I'm just thinking of other solutions to maybe prompt leadership from some of these kind of weak uh, Republicans in border states. No, I think that a resolution that affirms the fact that Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution, uh, which is called the Guarantee Clause, says that the federal government is supposed to guarantee every state in the Union from invasion. And I think that a reassertion and a reinforcement of Article 1, Section 10, Clause Number 3 of the Constitution, which states clearly what states are able to do to uh, protect themselves you know, from an invasion if there's imminent danger without any admit of delay. So, and then on top of that, we also need to make sure we're doing what is right by using the power of the purse up there against these federal government agencies that aren't doing constitutionally what they're supposed to do, like Homeland Security. So uh, that's the most important thing, I think, going in, because you're right. It should not be a Republican or Democrat issue when it comes to uh, making sure of the safety and security and the sovereignty of the United States of America. But sadly, we do have a progressive socialist leftist ideological agenda that wants to undermine the sovereignty of the United States of America. They don't believe that America should exist. And sadly, we see these leftists aligning with Islamic terrorist groups like Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, because they don't even believe that the sovereignty of Israel should be protected. So there's a really unholy alliance that is going on right now, Jenna, between these uh, socialist leftists, Marxists, and uh, Islamic jihadists. And we see it playing out right here on the streets in the United States of America. Look at what just happened this past weekend in D.C., where all of a sudden people are gathered outside of the White House shouting, Allahu Akbar. We know exactly what that means in the mindset of Islamic jihadists. And so we have got to get serious about affirming and reaffirming and reasserting the uh, sovereignty of this nation, our domestic security, and the fact that we're going to stand up against any type of terrorist support, aiding and abetting of terrorists, and terrorist actions. Yeah, so well said, and amen to that. And uh, Alan West, uh, because you are a, a committed Christian, um, you are a father, grandfather, um, I want to get your take on this other story that, frankly, I, I am just so disgusted by how the leftist media is coming after Speaker Mike Johnson for his mm -hmm. sincere Christian faith. And it is um, Christophobia. I mean, if, if we were talking about Jews or Muslims and they were coming after, I mean, they just wouldn't come after their faith in the same way because they'd be called anti-Semitic or racist or whatever. But somehow it's only the evangelical Christians that you can openly attack their faith in America. And everybody apparently thinks it's fine in mainstream media. But this was the tweet from Rolling Stone and the headline. Speaker of the House Mike Johnson admitted that he and his son monitored each other's porn intake in a resurfaced clip from 2022, as if this has been buried and somehow, you know, this is just resurfaced. And that is such a manipulation because the actual story says that in the war on technology or during a conversation on the war on technology, um, the then non-Speaker of the House, uh, just Louisiana representative, um, talked about how he in, had installed accountability software on his devices and his son's. And he says, it sends a report to your accountability partner and my accountability partner, which Christians are all aware of what that means. Right now is yep. my, my son, Jack. He's 17. So he's talking about this. And yet the left is now suggesting that that Mike Johnson has a porn intake just because he's talking about 
his accountability partner. And now the headline this morning in Newsweek is suggesting that this issue and this software now accountability may suggest a national security concern. I think this is ridiculous. It's manipulating the a good father who is trying to lead by example for his son. And I am so sick of this. Uh, what is your take on on how the, the mainstream media is treating Mike Johnson? Mm-hmm. Well, again, it comes back to what I just talked about, this unholy alliance where you cannot say anything about Islamic terrorists or jihadists, and they're freely able to go and occupy buildings on Capitol Hill or, you know, march and, and declare their support of a terrorist organization that just recently killed 30 Americans. But yet, if you're a Jewish student, if you're a Christian, uh, the left is going to come after you. And I think it is beyond sickening what we see happening. Uh, and and just recently, uh, Salon Online Magazine had an article. The headline was how that uh, America has less of a threat or concern from Hamas than it has from Christians. So again, we see the left as the secular humanist left, which is really their descendants of Karl Marx, who was an avowed atheist, and also Saul Alinsky, who dedicated his book, Rules for Radicals, to Lucifer. Uh, this is an evil that we're facing, and they are going after people that don't accept uh, their their worldview. And ever since you know Mike Johnson came out and said, I'm a Christian, I have a biblical worldview, they have made him public enemy number one. Uh, even Bill Maher has come out and said some very disparaging things, and you know, really uh, aligning him and associating him with the shooter in Maine, saying how dangerous Mr. Johnson is. So, yes, Christians, we understand what accountability partners are. We understand about putting these uh, tracking devices and technology out there to make sure that we are not being infiltrated by some of the uh, the nastiness and the the uh, the, the optics of, of the left and the, and the sin of the left. Uh, and, and that's what this is all about. But they'll do anything they can to manipulate, to disparage, to uh, demean, uh, and go after Christians. Uh, and like I just said, they want to bring people from these terrorist nations into our country, but they will not seek any means by which they'll protect Chaldeans, uh, Syrian Christians, or Coptic Christians. And we know that goes back to the Obama administration. So this is a spiritual battle that we're in here in the United States of America. It, it absolutely is. And you know what is so sickening and sickeningly hypocritical about this, too, is I guarantee you not one person at Rolling Stone, unless they are a Christian, and, and that would be a, a difficult position, but unless they are actually a Christian um, or have faith in God at Rolling Stone, none of these people even think that porn is bad anyway. And so what's, why do they even care? I mean, what is the point other mm-hmm. than to try to tear down Mike Johnson, to attack his Christian worldview, and then lead to this ridiculous suggestion that somehow now his phone is compromised and it's a national security concern simply because he has a Promise Keepers-based um, accountability viewing um, software on his phone so that he can lead by example to his 17-year-old son. I mean, why do they care? The the point, they don't. They just want to attack Christians. Yeah, and and when you think about a national security risk, I don't think too many people at Rolling Stone are talking about the national security risk 
of having a wide open uh, border where you have one to 1.5 million people in this country now that are known as gotaways. We don't have any track. We don't have any understanding who they are. Uh, the Chinese military age males and all these other military age males that's coming to this country illegally. And we have allowed that. They don't want to talk about that national security risk. They yeah. just want and, to do And they don't want to talk about Hunter them. Biden's laptop. They don't want to talk about the compromise of the Biden crime family. So what about all of those national security concerns? But uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, thanks so much for joining. We are all out of time for Jenna Ellis in the morning. You can reach me and my team at Jenna at AFR.net. And I'll see you tomorrow morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.